So the reading is from John 14, verse 1 to 17, and the page number is 1082. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going, Thomas said to him. Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and I will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rory, um, and good evening, church. Uh, I guess I should introduce just myself. Um, a lot of you here will recognise me, uh, Ben Baker, Matt Baker's son who preached a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a few of you here might not recognise me, and I'm not sure if I count as a guest speaker now or not. I got married uh, three months ago to Ellie, uh, my beautiful wife here, um, and yeah, I've moved out of home and uh, moved on. It's lovely to be back here at St John's. Uh, I'm continuing uh, the I Am series that we've uh, been working through. And I'm specifically looking at John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, But before I can really start unpacking uh, that verse, I first have to look at the context of where we find ourselves here in uh, John 14. I don't know if we've got the slides or not. Um, Don't worry if not. Where we are, we are... Just in the, uh, we're just in the Last Supper. Sometimes this is referred to as the Upper Room Discourse. From chapters 13 to 17, um, we have Jesus the day before his uh, death. He knows uh, what's about to happen, and he's spending a very intimate moment with uh, his disciples. Uh, I don't know how you picture the Last Supper in the evening going, Um, I always uh, envisioned it as uh, being a bit like, I think it's Leonardo da Vinci's alfresco painting where 
uh, they're all sat in a long table at this weird kind of either Christmas dinner or board meeting, can't quite work out which one it is, uh, where Jesus is having to speak very loudly so everyone can hear uh, his final words to the group of them uh, before he goes away. Um, In reality, uh, that's probably not what it would have looked like. Uh, The culture at the time was to sit, uh, well, to lie around a table on your side. And so it would have been a lot more intimate than a board meeting. Um, And this is why you can also see earlier on in chapter 13, uh, John talks about speaking to Jesus and rests his head on Jesus's chest. And that's how you get some of the conversations are just between a few of them. And then other conversations, like we find ourselves here in chapter 14, is between all of the disciples and Jesus. Uh, And it's just, at this point, Jesus and uh, 11 of his disciples in a room by themselves. Jesus has finished his teaching uh, to the nation of Israel. Uh, They've rejected him, and he is now uh, cementing what he believes will get the disciples through the next few days and then the rest of their journey on um, as they go and spread the gospel message. Uh, you would have noticed at the beginning of uh, chapter 14, Jesus starts by telling the disciples not to be troubled. Um, the disciples are troubled because Jesus has, in the chapter before, just told them that he's about to be betrayed by one of them. Uh, he's talking about leaving them and going away to a place they can't follow him and uh, talking about his death. And um, I often look at the disciples at this point in time and think, how silly are you? How silly can you be? Jesus has been very clear in his teaching. He's going to go away for a bit, but he's going to be back with you in in three days. He's going to be raised from the dead and you're going to have a great time uh, in a week or so. Uh, But I've grown up in a church, in the church family, and I knew the beginning uh, before I ever got taught about the disciples. Um, I was always taught about Jesus's death and his resurrection before I knew the name of any of the disciples. And I myself uh, can be quite a a warrior. Uh, I said that Ellie and I got married uh, three months ago and we moved into uh, a lovely flat the other side of the heath. And it was a real blessing by God that we managed to uh, be given uh, or or get this flat. I've had a lot of friends who have um, had to go through bidding wars. They've had to write big like A4 pages about why they love the house and why the landlords should be um, letting them live in them and how they're going to look after the house and how they might make it better and how they're going to serve the community. Um, We looked around one flat, um, decided we liked it, worked out how much we could afford to pay on rent, prayed about it, sent off our application and just said, Lord, if this is the right place for us to live, then please provide it for us. And if not, we'll keep looking. Um, and, and we did manage to get the flat, and I do believe it's been a real blessing by God. And in fact, um, it comes with a garage. We hadn't realised how handy that was going to be with Ellie and her work, and he has really provided for us. Uh, yet, with about eight months left on our um, agreement, I find myself dreaming about meeting the landlord and trying to persuade them not to put up our rent by more than 10% so that we can live there for more than a year later. Um, yeah, I, I can be quite a worrier, and I think if I was one of the disciples... I probably too would have been worried at that point in time. They'd pinned their hopes on this Messiah that was going to save them from their Roman occupation, but didn't realise that really what Jesus was saving them from was their bondage to sin and this new life he was going to give them. On top of all of that going on, 
Jesus had just predicted Peter's denial, the team's star striker has been shut down by the manager just before uh, the end of the game. Um, And here, on the night before his death, it would have been appropriate for Jesus to be leaning on his disciples for emotional support. He knew what was about to come. It would have been right for them to be giving him emotional and spiritual support, yet he is the great comforter to them. Jesus comforts them by telling them about his father's house. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Uh, In their time of trouble, uh, Jesus' great comfort for them is not uh, that they're going to be all right, they're going to have great jobs in the future, they're going to be financially set. It's not even him telling them exactly what's going to happen over the next uh, 24 hours, the next three days, the week later. If I was uh, a disciple, I think it would have been pretty handy if Jesus said, I'm going away and you can't come with me, but don't worry, in three days' time I'll be back. How about we schedule in that breakfast by the sea, we cook up some fish for a barbecue in the morning, don't worry about it, guys, it's going to be okay. But he doesn't go there. His great comfort to them is the promise of heaven. And I'm not sure I think about heaven enough. I'm not sure it's because uh, I'm, I'm young and I like to believe that Uh, heaven is far off for me, uh, not just round the corner. Or maybe it's because I grew up in a Christian home and I've always been told about heaven. I've always believed that I'm going to heaven. I've always believed it's it's been there. Um, uh, But for me, it doesn't sound like a complete uh, relief from the trouble they're feeling. Yet the point that Jesus, I believe, is trying to make is that there's always going to be trouble in this world. There's always going to be issues that we have, whether it's as great as the disciples or whether it's me worrying about eight months' time. There's always going to be trouble. And that's because we've not been made for this world. We've been made to spend eternity worshipping the Lord in heaven. And Jesus says his father's house has many rooms. He doesn't say there's just enough rooms for the the 11 of you in uh, the room with me right now. He doesn't say there's 20 rooms. He says there are many rooms. And at the time, culturally, they would have understood this to be meaning there are many more rooms than they could even imagine. Um, when uh, a son would get married and, uh, the, to his wife, they would then be brought into the family. And at the time, they would build an extra room or they'd, they'd hang down some fabric um, in between current rooms to provide space for their new uh, people in their family. Uh, You think back to uh, Jacob or Isaac or um, Abraham. When they had a child who'd married, they had their tents and then the family members would just pitch their tent onto the main tent. This idea that there are many rooms, there are rooms for all of us here and it's not an ending amount of rooms. Uh, In response to this, we then get Thomas perhaps not quite understanding what's going on. Uh, However, I feel like uh, Thomas perhaps gets a bit of a poor uh, rap in uh, popular culture or maybe like popular church culture. Um, We've got uh, Thomas being the doubter, uh, doesn't believe that 
Jesus has risen from the dead until he can see the scars and the wounds and put his fingers in the wounds. Um, and then here we've got Thomas. Jesus is quite clearly talking about heaven. And Thomas is then saying, no, I don't know the way. I don't even know where you're talking about, what, what's going on. Um, but I think Thomas is just a bit of a practical guy. He likes things to be put clearly for him. Uh, in fact, if I said to all of you here, some of you um, might know the answer to this, but if I said, um, how about we all go for a drink uh, at Matt Baker, my dad's house, right, after, after my preach, after the service today, um, a lot of you would be like, oh, that's great. Um, I don't know the way. I don't know where it is. I've told you it's at my dad's house. But you want to know, oh, it's in Cholton. It's by the, it's by the valley. You want to know his, his um, door number, his postcode. That's what Thomas here is looking for. He's looking for a practical answer. And it's so great that he did ask the question because this is where we get Jesus' great response. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus says he's the way, he's talking about a path or a route or a road. Um, he's talking about he, him being the route to heaven, to his father's house. Um, now, I, I'm dyslexic. I, I like words, but I prefer numbers. Um, I've said I've just got married. I don't have to pretend to be cool anymore. Um, I, yeah, I love an Excel spreadsheet. Give that to me any day of the week. Um, I'm an economist. That's what I do. Uh, but to really understand what Jesus is saying here, I've got to look at um, the type of words he's using. And when he says, I am the way, he's using the uh, definite article, which in other words, you could translate what he's saying as being, I am the only way. And this is backed up later uh, in the next verse. Oh, no, sorry, in the same verse, but in the second half, when he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. I think this has two purposes uh, for us in, in where we live our lives at the moment. Uh, the first being that um, when Jesus says he is the only way, he's being exclusive uh, in his nature, saying that the only path to salvation is through him. We live in a world where there are many religions and many people saying there are many ways to get to heaven. I've even had conversations with friends of people of other faiths who's been like, okay, Ben, you're a Christian, you live your life, you get to your heaven, I'll live my life my way, and I'll get to my heaven, and maybe we'll see each other, and it'll be the same heaven, and we'll have a good time, or maybe there's two heavens, but don't worry, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. Jesus is being very clear here that he is the only way. No other religion or uh, belief system or way of life is going to get you to heaven, only through him. The second uh, purpose, I believe, that this has for our lives and what he's saying is um, there is, Jesus is the only path to salvation, meaning it's not by our works. There's no salvation by works. It's only salvation by Jesus and what he's done for us, only by his grace. Um, I don't know if any of you uh, know Bear Grylls, um, has all those survival shows. I used to love watching him uh, with my brother as a kid, um, wanting to be in one of his survival shows where he like, teaches people like me or you um, a few skills, give them like a handbook and then just drops them in the jungle and says, uh, come meet me over the other side of the mountain, um, get there first and you're a winner or something. 
Um, although nowadays, I think um, like a one lap around Greenwich Park is enough getting out of the house for me in a day. Um, but when Jesus is saying he's the only way, he's not saying, oh, I'm like Bear Grylls, I've given you the Bible as a guidebook and I've dropped you in the middle of the jungle. My father's house is at the top of the mountain. Come meet me there. That would mean that we are finding our own way there. We're working to get there. When he says he's the way, if you look back in, in the earlier verses, um, in verse 3, he says he will go and prepare a place for you. And he's not just preparing a place for us, he's preparing the way to get there, right? Through his death and resurrection, he has bridged the gap between us and heaven. He's made a bridge, a road, a path to get to heaven. But it's not like he's there with us in the jungle saying, uh, don't worry, I've made a nice road to get us up to my father's house at the top of the mountain here, just walk up the path, you'll get there. That would still require us to do the work, getting ourselves there. What it's really like is Jesus saying, I've dropped you in the jungle, I've made you a road there, actually let me take your backpack, let me just pick you up, let me carry you to my father's house and we'll have a party when we get to the top together. So we see Jesus as the great comforter and then saying he is the only way. He then goes on to say that he is the truth. I am the way and the truth. Again, the same language is used, saying he is the only truth. In Psalm 119, verse 142, uh, it says, uh, when the psalmist is talking to God, says, your law is truth. When Jesus said this, he was equating himself to the Old Testament law, and the disciples would have understood that. He was claiming to be the fulfillment of the law and the commanding standard of righteousness. When he says that he is the truth, he's only the way because he is the truth. They need to come together. By being the truth, it backs up his claim that he is the way. And the disciples would have known this by spending time with this. They would have seen him in his righteousness. He doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, I'm the way and I speak truth, though. He says, I am truth, the truth, the only truth. The disciples saw it in his words, they saw it in his actions, they saw it in how he served other people. We, we get to see that in the Gospels as well. He is saying that we can be assured that he is the way because he, has, he is the truth and we've seen his righteousness in his works uh, and we can trust that he is true. Uh, recently, I don't know if you've seen um, any of the political um, party conferences that's been going over the last couple of weeks. Um, it led to a few discussions between me and Ellie about um, what we thought of them and... I got to a point with Ellie where I was like, I don't actually know what's true anymore. Like, there's so many different sides saying different things. Uh, we live in a world where there seems to be multiple truths are all right, and, and I didn't know what to, what to make of it. And perhaps I should have come to this conclusion earlier, or I should have always had it, but we were having this discussion, and I just said to Ellie, I don't know what is true anymore. The only thing I know that is true is Jesus, is the teaching in the Bible. And actually... Perhaps my starting point, looking out towards politics or wherever it may be, should be starting from Jesus and going from there outwards rather than trying to bring him into the, confusing, uh, into the confusion and starting from what I know is true. 
When Jesus here is saying he's truth and that he's the fulfilment of the law, he's claiming to be the incarnate word of God and the source of all truth. He wasn't just backing up that he was the way. He was revealing the Father to the disciples and in turn to us. Philip, in verse uh, 7, asked, the Lord to sh- asked Jesus to show him the Father, saying it will be enough. Jesus expands on this idea that the truth is revealing uh, God to us by saying, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Um, just a side note, some religions and conversations I've had with people, they've said before, oh, if you can show me a really clear point where Jesus says that he's God, I'll believe you, but it's not written there. I think this is a pretty clear point that Jesus is saying he is God. And if you, in fact, turn to any chapter in John, you can pretty much find Jesus claiming to be God uh, all throughout um, the gospel. But here Jesus touches on another cause of trouble that still gripped the first disciples in the room. Not only are they worried about him uh, departing um, and, and, and the betrayal and what was going on, uh, but he's, he's touching on the fact that Philip wants to see more, right? And it's something that we still, I believe, I still struggle with now. You know, going back to me being worried about whether I'll have a place to live in eight months or whatever, I, I kind of think, oh, well, if, if Jesus, like, spoke into my life and said, oh, I've got this place for you, don't worry about it, that'll be good for about a week, and then I start praying, okay, uh, how much is it going to cost me? I need to start like saving up to make sure it's all right. And then if he said gave me the amount, I'd be like, oh, can you just like let me know exactly where it is so I can start planning if I need to like apply to new jobs or something, right? This 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 issue still uh, hangs about us. And Philip so desperately wanted to see more that he couldn't see what was right in front of his face. So. We've seen Jesus as the, uh, the great comforter. Uh, we have seen Jesus as the way to the Father. Uh, his death and resurrection have bridged that gap. We then see Jesus as the truth, and Jesus as the revelation of God, and revealing the truth about the Father. Um, and I normally try and do uh, three points, but that wouldn't work uh, this evening, because then I'd leave out the last point of the I am statement. So I've got a fourth point, that Jesus is the life. Um, so we've seen uh, Thomas uh, asking what seems like a bit of a silly question. Then we see Philip asking what seems like another bit of a silly question. Um, if I was a disciple, I think this is where I probably would have asked my silly question. Um, Jesus has just told them about going away and, and talking about his death. And now he says he's the life. Like, um, what on earth does that mean, Jesus? You're about to die and now you're telling us that you are life. Um, I didn't include it um, in the reading because I didn't want the reading to go on and on. But in verse 19, Jesus says that he makes a promise to the disciples and to us that because he lives, we will also live. That The life he was uh, talking about uh, is the true deliverance of the life of bondage to sin and death and the freedom in eternity. Uh, but when Jesus says he is life, yes, he's saying that He is providing us with life uh, in eternity to worship God. But he's also telling the disciples 
that their life is starting again now. And that applies to us today. In verses 12 to 14, he tells the disciples that they're going to do things, uh, they're going to do greater things, right? Now, he's not talking uh, greater in power or in magnitude. Um, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. They're not going to do more than what he'd done and the miracles he'd performed. But he was going to, they were going to do something greater in extent or number. And we see that in the book of Acts. We see the Holy Spirit um, coming in, in, in Pentecost and the number of Christians goes from a few hundred to 3,000 in a day. And then in the weeks and, and months later, you get thousands and thousands more becoming Christians, Right? That's what Jesus meant about greater. But what he says in those verses, it's not just for the disciples. He says it's for we who believe, me and you. And in verses in 16 and 17, we get um, a glimpse of what, well, what Jesus is promising to the disciples, being the Holy Spirit, and something that we now have received and live with. Um, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit uh, another advocate, a, a helper for us. Uh, he was saying to the disciples, just as you have turned to me tonight to be a comforter, I'm going to leave you with a gift. So when you want comfort in the future, you can turn to the Holy Spirit for comfort. The great thing about the Holy Spirit is that it's not just dwelling in, in a church or in a temple, it's dwelling in us as Christians the disciples no longer had to turn to Jesus as their comfort when he was around. They were going to be able to, no matter where they were in their day or what trouble was going on with them, they could just turn to the Lord wherever they were and share that and lean on the Holy Spirit for comfort. And that, that same ability to lean on the Holy Spirit for, for the disciples is what can change our lives now. And it doesn't matter where we are or, or how we need him, we can rely on the Lord. After Jesus' ascension, the, the disciples saw their lives change when they fully understood what Jesus was saying when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I believe if we really grapple with what Jesus is saying here, we can see a change in our lives too. Although it's true that these last few chapters, um, John is, it's John's account of Jesus' last words to the disciples uh, before his death, their primary aim was not for Jesus to tell the disciples about how to be disciples, how to do discipling. His aim in these last few chapters was to get across his key message and his mission that was going to help them get through the next days and then was going to help them after his ascension. What he was telling them was, this isn't the end, it's just the beginning. When uh, Jesus ascended and you had the early church, they didn't have a Bible to go around um, handing people or YouTube videos to send people and go like, go listen to this preach or um, here, come on an Alpha course. Right? All they had was Jesus. I've been really challenged over the last couple of weeks um, in my response to Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and in fact, uh, last week I, I, I was at the pub um, uh, for someone's birthday, 
And someone started bringing up uh, them talking about their job and purpose. And I, I felt, right, I've been working on this preach. I, I really am really struck by, by these words Jesus, Jesus spoke. If I believe he is the only way, the only truth and life, then I need to tell, I need to tell this guy about Jesus. And um, I'll be honest, it didn't quite go how I was expecting it. It didn't go terribly, but it didn't go great either. When I was 18, um, I went off to university. I'd just come out of legacy. Um, I was used to people asking me these questions at school and at um, pre-drinks before the club uh, at university about Christianity. And I, and I was in good practice about how to get across um, the idea of grace and who Jesus was and what it meant for my life. Um, with lockdown, uh, COVID, and then um, meeting less people, I, I spoke to my friends about my life as a Christian, but I got out of practice of talking just generally about Jesus. Um, I know a couple of weeks ago, my dad left a challenge in his talk to get out there and talk about Jesus. And I really believe we do need to. Um, and I'm not going to promise that it's going to go great. It, didn't, it wasn't bad for me, but it wasn't good either. But we need to practice. The more we speak about it, hopefully next time I'll have a little bit of a better way to explain uh, grace other than a guy watching the rugby, drinking a pint, going, I don't understand what you mean, there's nothing I can do. And me being like, uh, I'm not really sure I can explain it great either. And him going, what do you mean you can't explain it great? Surely you can just tell me these, these few steps and I can follow it and get to grace. I'm like, well, that's not the point. You can't follow steps to get to grace. That's how it works, right? Um, you can see why I got so confusing and I stumbled over my words and why. But this is why we need to practice, yeah? Um, It's one thing for Jesus to say that he's the way, right, and, and to bridge the gap to heaven. It's another thing uh, for Jesus to reveal the Father to us, right? It's something completely different for him to say that he's bringing it to us now and that the Father and the Son, the, the knowledge there dwells in us in the Spirit and it can change our lives now. Um, I spoke earlier about me worrying and um, actually I think Ruth mentioned it in, in her, her prayers. Later on in this same chapter, Jesus talks about um, promising peace and he says in verse 27, the peace I leave, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. That's coming from, from the Holy Spirit. That's what he's leaving us there. That's where we can access peace and, and, and fear from worry in our lives now. Um, as I come to a close, uh, I question where does this leave us? For some of you here, um, you know, Jesus made some big outrageous claims in this statement um, and you might have your own questions about it and want to find out more. Um, come and speak to me after the service. Uh, speak to Vicky. I think she mentioned the welcome point. There'll be someone floating around there. Come ask us questions. If you're part of the youth group, uh, ask all of your really tough questions to Jamie Ginns, please. Um, for, for, for others in here, we're about to um, take communion. And I think it's really um, wonderful that, you know, communion was, was first um, taken or Jesus first shared the bread and the wine with his disciples uh, during the Last Supper, just before this conversation happened. Um, so if there's something that's been troubling you uh, on your heart, uh, when we take communion, let's, uh, I'd encourage you to reflect on it and to accept that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and, and hand over that worry to him and 
say, I trust you and I'm, I'm giving it to you. Um, and allow him to shape, come in and shape your life where you're at. Uh, and for some of us here, you might be challenged like I was to tell people. Like, let's go out this week. Let, let's go and tell people about Jesus. Tell people you went to church and, on a Sunday evening. Um, just give it a go. Let, let's start practicing these conversations. Um, yeah, I think it would be great if I could just like, pray for us all, all now. If we could just, just before we go into communion, I'll just uh, bow our heads and I'll just say a quick prayer as I end. Yeah, Father, thank you that you are uh, the only way, the only truth, uh, and the life, Lord. Thank you that there is space for us in uh, your Father's house, Lord. I pray that if we come here uh, with, with questions, uh, I should pray that you provide answers, answers to those questions. If we come here with uh, worries, um, I pray that you could um, settle uh, those nerves and, and those troubles. Um, and if we're left uh, leaving here this evening wanting to tell our friends uh, and colleagues about you, Lord, I pray that you give us the courage uh, to speak up and speak about you. Amen. Speak about you. Amen.